Hi, it's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? During times in this episode, there is sensitive content that may be traumatizing to some audiences. Listener discretion advised. I met Alicia this year via virtual spaces with the adoption community. She is a member of the Adoptee Sisterhood that meets once a month on Zoom. Her journey as a late discovery adoptee is thought-provoking, fascinating, and interesting on so many levels. Alicia discovered that she was a biological member of two families of which that knowledge wasn't known until March of 2019 after receiving the results of a gifted ancestry DNA kit. Alicia is the first adoptive parent I've had the pleasure to speak to for this podcast. I can't think of a better first guest than an adoptee who chose to adopt two children and raise them with her offsprings. In this episode, you will hear from a most articulate and master communicator. I find Alicia to be in touch and authentic with her feelings, especially how it relates to being an LDA in reunion. Allow me to introduce you to Alicia Williams, someone who said absolutely yes when I asked her to have this conversation. We thank you for joining the Adoptee Sisterhood. How has that experience been for you? Oh my gosh, you you guys are truly becoming my sisters. I've learned very quickly that family is who you make it, those who are supporting you. And I have really thoroughly enjoyed the um, camaraderie, the support, and, and just all of the valuable feedback that the sisters has offered me. So thank you for letting me in and including me as a sister. <laughs> yes, we're so glad you, you joined us. We enjoy that once a month via Zoom meeting, definitely. Absolutely. It's good to have support, yeah, in the adoption community. So let's just, just dive right in because I know you are a late discovery adoptee and it's pretty recent. So wherever you want to start. Yeah, I think I'll start with my childhood. Yes, I am a late discovery adoptee. I received an ancestry DNA kit as a Christmas gift of December 2018, and I did not send that gift in. I did not send the kit in until March of 2019. I really have just hit my two-year mark in March of discovering that I was not biologically related to the people I thought that I was. But my childhood as many of us have that were adopted, I, I had an amazing childhood. I had the most amazing parents and um, very privileged, very spoiled. I'm not, I'm not ashamed to admit that. I'm not ashamed at all to say that I was a daddy's girl. And I truly thought my father was the king of all castles, not just our castle, all castles. I grew up in Ann Arbor um, and I grew up in a 
gated subdivision community and went to school with the the athletes children and the Schumbeckler children and the professors and doctors of U of M and tennis courts and, and golf lessons and all of the things that the typical little black girl born from Detroit does not get to experience. That was my life. And it was truly a blessing. That sounds privileged. Yeah. Oh, it, it, it truly was. But there were some things that just never made sense. There was a small little connection with my mother that just didn't seem to bond to me in the, in the right way. My parents were a little bit older than all of my friends' parents. And even being the youngest of their siblings, I had many, many aunts and uncles. My mother is the second youngest of 10. My father is the middle of five. So I had many aunts and uncles, many cousins, but all of my first cousins were considerably older than me, generally 20, 25 years older than me. Mm. So that so that didn't make sense to me, why my parents decided to wait so late coming from large families. Yeah. Why did they only have two children, just me and my brother? Why did we live in different cities from our cousins who all lived in Detroit or who all lived in Pittsburgh? We were isolated from them, yet we would visit them often but come back and live a different life than what they were living. Um, so, it's, you know, little things like that. I, I was a very inquisitive child. I asked a lot of questions. I was that little girl that was always, why, mommy? <laughs> but why? Right. And just in asking those questions, I had picked up with my parents being older. You, as all little kids did back in the 60s and, and early 70s, you were spoke when spoken to. You did not interrupt grown folks' conversations. But as little kids, you know, we would hear little tidbits that were, were odd. How are they doing? Is she still having nightmares? Does she like you more than your than her father? You know, I heard those things and they just didn't make sense to me. But you don't question them. I have one brother who was raised with me and he is two years, two months and two days younger than me. Um, and so we grew up kind of together in the same household, but we also grew up very separate from each other. It was almost as if we were two only children living in the same household. My mother was extremely bonded with my brother, and I was a daddy's girl. So at what age did you recognize the bond between your mother and brother? Always. Okay. I remember the day that he came home. I didn't know anything about pregnancy. I didn't know how babies came to be, but I remember getting in our gold Pontiac Bonneville, waiting in the car with my daddy, and out comes mommy with this baby. And he was put in the seat, and mommy got in the back seat, and we went home, and this baby came home with us. Mm. And he stayed. Mm -hmm. And I remember being so upset, so angry. What is he doing here? Why is he here? <laughs> and I was not happy to be a big sister. I was not... Um, introduced as most children are or prepared for a little brother. 
and my brother and I never bonded. So it sounds like one day it was just you and your mother and father, and then the next day there's this baby. Yes. Yeah. With no preparation whatsoever. Then everything just exploded with joy. People were coming to the house all the time. They were, and we were paraded. We were always dressed in dresses. To this, I have on a dress right now. (laughs) To this day, I wear a dress almost every day because, as a little girl, I wore a dress almost every day. And I felt like we were always on display. Mm -hmm. We always had to be perfect. We always had to perform. Perform We would, you know, show them how you can curtsy. Show them what you've learned in ballet class. Say the alphabet. Mm-hmm. Count to 10. We are always performing. I, I truly became very eloquent in speaking very early, very well-spoken as an adult and would hold adult conversations to show my intellect and, mm-hmm. and everything. I, I realized that life sort of started when my brother came home and that started bothering me. Mm. Where was me? And my brother's name was Frank, and we've always called him Frankie. You know, it, it, life started at Frankie. There were no baby pictures of me. I'd never seen myself as an infant. There were no talks of how I came, uh, you know, about mom's pregnancy or preparation for the new baby. There was never those conversations, and that was always odd. Mm-hmm. Did, did he know he was adopted? No, he did not. Oh, okay. But as life grew on and around six or seven, I started having night terrors. I would have panic attacks when it was time to go to bed. And these dreams were the same theme reoccurring over and over that I was being taken or abducted or lost or separated in some way. And so subsequently, I ended up going to therapy very early on. By six or seven, I was in therapy um, quite a bit. And tell my clinicians about, you know, my dream of being taken by two men and screaming and crying for mommy and mommy just standing there and waving goodbye, allowing me to be taken. Mm. Or going, going to a fun place and being separated and lost. Mm, these were vivid you dreams. Know, they were very vivid, very vivid. I mean, I felt them to the core of my inner being. Mm. I remembered one dream where we had, um, my family took a trip to Cedar Point every year. And one of the dreams was going to Cedar Point and getting on a Ferris wheel and going to the top of the Ferris wheel. And the Ferris wheel stopped and looking down at mommy and her waving and walking away. Mm and me staying at the top of the Ferris wheel. And I leaned over screaming and crying, just reaching for her and literally woke up because I had fallen out of the bed in my body reacting to falling out of this Ferris wheel. Emotionally, I became a total wreck. I functioned in school. I was an A student. I was a very good student. I functioned in perf- in, in public because I had learned to perform. Mm-hmm. But when the lights were off and the cameras were down 
and I was home by myself, I was in a depression. It was disregarded because of developing a a very comprehensive uh, vocabulary early. I would say, you know, mommy, can you help me stop having these dreams? Mommy, can you help me stop having these feelings? And they were disregarded. They'll go away. You're okay. We understand what they're coming from. You'll grow out of them. And I just didn't. Mm, And no no mention of being an adoptee. No, no. And and one of the hurtful things when I did discover it was the fact that my parents did allow me to go through therapy and sit with clinicians and hear these stories. And they could have mm-hmm. opened that door and explained them and they never did. Right. So and, you don't believe was, they said anything to the the clinician? No. Yeah. Wow. No, I don't. I don't. So... There actually was a day that came that I asked the question, am I adopted? And what had transpired was approximately 13, my parents were always business owners, and there was a filing cabinet that had had a file that had fallen behind it, and so it wouldn't close properly. You know, you're taught not to snoop, not to go through grown people's business. And so in my attempt to put things back properly, I opened up this manila envelope to see where it belonged. There were four pieces of paper in this manila envelope. A birth certificate of someone's name I had no clue about. Two, I'm sorry, two. Two birth certificates and two papers that had my name on it, my parents' name on it, and... And order, and it said order of adoption at the top. Mm. And my my stomach pitted up. I went to my mother with these four pieces of paper, and I basically I remember just shaking my head, just back and forth. I don't understand. I don't understand. What is this? What is this? Mm. What is this? And she took it from me. She opened it up, and she smacked me. You said smacked you, like in the face? Yes. Mm. And and she'd never smacked me before. Right. And in the shock of being smacked, I immediately went back into good girl mode. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I wasn't snooping. I didn't mean to take it out. Mm. And she took it and she, you know, she said, you know, you shouldn't be snooping and stay out of the filing cabinet. And It was, I went to my room and I just cried and cried and I didn't understand. And in my pit, I knew that was big. Mm -hmm. I knew, I knew something had just changed and I didn't know what it was. Mm. And it was much later that evening that my parents came into my room and said, we want to explain that when you were born, your father and I were not married yet. And so when we got married, we had to file these papers to change your name legally Mm. to Alicia Sharon Bennett, which is the name that I grew up with. So they chose to cover up even more what you had discovered. And in that moment, the sigh of relief of what they told me I was like, oh, my God. Oh, thank you. Mm. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Right. Okay. I'm good. 
that explains it. Now I understand. Right. You know, those papers mean nothing. Daddy is daddy and mommy is mommy. And those papers mean nothing. Mm. And I took it at face value from 13 on, even though there were always little things that didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. My mother had a, a saying that would trigger some emotion in me, and I never knew why, but it would conjure up really violent arguments between the two of us. We think very differently. I'm a very... Um, open person and trusting person and optimistic person. And she's the type of person where you really have to prove something to her first before she's going to believe it. Mm -hmm. And so I, I see roses. She sees dandelions. I see blue sky. She sees grass that needs cutting. <laughs> so <laughs> I get, I totally get the picture. And the phrase was, I know you like a book. I know you better than you'll ever know yourself. Mm. Little girl, I know more about you than you will ever know. Mm. And that would trigger something in me. It angered me. It upset me every time she said that. Mm. In my mind, we were so different in thinking. I was like, no, you don't know me. You don't know what I feel. You don't understand what I, the words that come out of my mouth, you interpret them different. And to me, we were night and day. When would she say that? Would it be like after you had done something that she didn't approve of or? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. When it was that seeking of me to be perfect in her eyes and when I felt like I didn't measure up to that perfection. I know why you did this. You did this on purpose. You did this for attention. And there were, and there were other little things. I sensed that there was a competition between her and I for my father's affection. Mm. And I learned that very early. And I actually, I, I'm not ashamed to say today, I used it and I played on it. Because the person that she was when my father wasn't there was very strict, very stern, very rules and regimented. But the person that she was when dad was home was in the background watching, but not involved. Mm -hmm. So when dad would leave, I would, she would say things like, I saw that. I saw what you did. You're manipulating your father. You're trying to get over on him. You're trying to wrap him around your finger. You think you're such a little good girl that daddy won't see the real you. Mm. This is this and is teenage years, I'm guessing. It's No, it started actually early. Mm. The earliest memory I had, I think, was maybe around three or four. And I fell out of our car. Because my foot had gotten entangled in the seatbelt. And it was Easter Sunday. And I had on a little sailor's, sailor girl outfit. And I tripped out of the car and skinned my knee and got little specks of blood on my knees. And my father ran and picked me up. And she screamed, 
put her down. She did that on purpose. Mm. She did that knowing that we have to go into this church and she, this is Eastern. She's supposed to look perfect. And she did that for attention. And I, and I was hurt. I was hurt emotionally and I was physically hurt. I, I remember looking up at her like, why doesn't she love me? How Why did, doesn't she love me the way you, daddy does? Yeah, like how did he respond to her? Because that just feels so off for her to have said that. My father and I developed a secret relationship. Mm-hmm. He, he <laughs> let her take the lead when, yeah, when she was around. In public. Sense. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. But he also started taking me more so that I was not around her mm-hmm. by myself, which separated me and my brother. Mm. So I grew up always being with daddy, and my brother was always with my mother. And so my brother and I did not grow up as siblings. I don't think I've ever and, heard that shared before. Yeah. Yes, and even, and we, uh, going to parochial schools, you know, it's, pretty, it's a pretty small community. And kids generally go with each other from K through 12 if you stay in that system. And there, even when we were in high school, we, we've always lived in predominantly Caucasian communities. And so our high school, there were only 15 African-American students in our high school. Mm. My brother and I being two of those 15, there were students that did not know that we were, in, that we were even brother and sister because of the lack of even eye contact that we made with each other. Mm. And you had the same last name, right? Yes, absolutely. Mm. That's just hard to believe. Yeah. Absolutely. Moving on through adulthood, I got pregnant very early in college, and my husband is a little bit older than I. I had always picked relationships with with men that were a little bit older than me and very much like my father. Mm-hmm. And my father absolutely loved my husband before mm-hmm. we were married. I very early had the blessing of dating this this young, you know, this older man. So at 18, he's only 7 years older than me, but at 18, my boyfriend's now 25. Mhm. He's saying the right things to my father. You know, I will, she won't be in bars. She'll be home on time. She, I will look after her. I will take care of her. I will do everything that you expect me to do of her. And so I said, bonus winner, right (laughs) off the bat. I got the right guy from the beginning. And we decided very early that we were going to get married. We decided we will fa- start a family right away. And as God would have it, family came before the wedding. When I thought it was a time that I could lean on mom about upcoming pregnancy and impending birth and learning, you know, what to expect you know, with my everything to expect when you're expecting book. For sure, for sure, yeah. (laughs) Your first child, yeah. Exactly, and and just being 19, getting ready to turn 20, and asking her all these questions, and she literally had no information for me. Yeah, I can picture it, yeah. No information. She just could not help me whatsoever. What would she say? Do you remember? um, Remind you, she's much older. 
most of the time the excuse was it was so long ago I don't remember (laughs) and you know what's interesting is all of us who have carried a child and given birth you don't forget that you don't you don't do not forget that I was so conditioned to accept what my parents said Mm -hmm. I accepted what she said but in my heart I started thinking she was so detached from me during pregnancy already that it didn't mean anything to her. Mm. She, I took it that those butterflies went unnoticed. Mm. That morning sickness was not remembered. And then those that kind labor of the, pains. Yeah, and like, I'm just thinking that kind of explained away why she was the way she was in the relationship with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So I created a scenario that made sense. Mm-hmm. Isn't that I, funny how we can, like, make up a story to go in, oh, al- yeah, in alignment yes. with what, what we can't figure out? Yeah, we'll make it, it was, up. It was a jagged line, but it was still connected. Mm-hmm. Right, good way to put <laughs> I it. I made it, I made it fit. Mm-hmm. Made it fit, yep. I, I made everything that my parents told me fit. I'm going to come up to 2018. And as I've now had children, I had my first daughter. I had always known there was a little girl in me that always wanted to be a mother. And I always wanted to bond with my children differently than my parents bonded with me. So I knew I was going to be very involved as a mother because even being very pampered, very spoiled, there was a lack of involvement. I was dropped off at ballet lessons and picked back up. So they didn't see me perform ballet. I was dropped off at summer camp and spend the summer with these beautiful camps, but then not really asked how it went when I got back. So I knew I was going to do it differently. And I also knew that I wanted to adopt a child. As a little girl, I would play house and adopt a child. Mm. I, would have a, I would have a white baby doll and I'd have a black baby doll. And they would be sisters. And it was and subconsciously, I didn't even realize what I was doing. But even in playing house. I'm really taking that in that somewhere in your subconscious your mm-hmm. your Always. experience being adopted was somewhere in your subconscious it was yeah completely completely as i've matured and i've now been married for many years and my children are now growing into adults and it has become a joke a family joke that when mom says something nutty that doesn't make sense or doesn't remember something or you know, doesn't recall an event or things like that, we would always joke and say, it's okay, she's not my real mom anyways. Mm-hmm. It, it was a joke. It was mm-hmm. honestly a family joke, but never in my heart did I believe it because I had created the scenario that justified everything that happened. Mm-hmm. My daughter bought me this kit because through all of these years, my parents were very, very close to our, our their families. Our family is huge. 
my father's family has celebrated family reunions for over 125 years consecutively. So we had a very deep historic background of family. And we know the history of the migration from the island of Madagascar and how many of them came to America as freemen and not as slaves. And we had the history of my mother's side of the family actually having been descendants of George Washington's brother and slavery and in their, and their travels of enslavement. This yeah. was all instilled in us. And we were proud mm-hmm. to know this history. And so when my daughter bought me an Ancestry DNA kit, it wasn't to dispel family or to discover new family. It was to add to the historical value of what we knew. Right. So it had we nothing all, to do with adoption, right? It had nothing <laughs> to do with adoption. Right. And so I did not rush to even turn the kit in. And let, I, let me just say say right here, right now, because I don't know if you said it yet. You did adopt. Yes. Yeah, you did. I had two. By this time, I had two adopted children. Okay. And we had a very blended family. Um, I had a stepson that my, my husband had when we got married. And I had two birth kids that were six years apart. Mm-hmm. And we adopted one in between them and one younger than them. Okay. So we ultimately had five children. Two birth kids, two adopted kids, and a stepson. Right. So 2018, you have five kids. Mm, yes. And two of them are adopted. So you're an adoptive parent. Exactly. Yeah. A biological and, parent. And yeah, so go mm-hmm. ahead. And had relatively had a very successful adoption. My oldest son, he was 10 when we adopted him. So that was a very different dynamic than my daughter, who was 18 months when we adopted her. Okay. Um, so my so my kids grew up with my parents as being their grandparents, mm-hmm. and they readily accepted them as their children. And we don't have a distinction between our kids, or introduce anyone as step or this. You know, these are my adopted children. Mm-hmm. These are our children. Right. And so, the adopted yeah. children knew they were adopted. Yes. Right. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. And we and I've always been very open with that pray. Mm -hmm. Literally, it was an active participation to pray for their parents and pray over their reunion one day Mm. with their parents. Right. And that was just something that I felt that they needed as children. Mm -hmm. In uh, April of 2019, I got my Ancestry DNA results back. And I got an email first saying that the results were in. And I immediately went back to my website because of this huge family history and family tree, I already had an Ancestry DNA account. Mm-hmm. So I was, it was very easy for me to upload my information, get into my account very quickly, and let's find out these wonderful results and the path and the migration of our ancestors. Right. You're excited. You're like, yeah. I, <laughs> I am. Oh, I'm so excited. Right. I open up this kit. I see a first cousin with 1,538 centimorgan match. And I'm like, oh, I, I don't, I don't understand. I don't know what this means. I don't, you know, I don't understand Cynthia Morgans and how that connection works. And but 
first cousin. Mm -hmm. Mind you, we are very close with our family and our aunts and our uncles. And I know all of my first cousins. And I this name, I don't recognize. Mm -hmm. I don't know this person. And I click on her tree. And what little I can see, because a lot of it is, is blacked out when you're not connected to that person yet. I don't recognize any of the names that are in there. And I'm looking at the, the second match and the third match. And I open it up further, and I had over 6,000, 6,700 plus direct matches. And I was like, this is a lot of people, but their names were none that I knew of. Mm -hmm. No yes. Bennett's, no Washington's, no Brown's, no, no names I had ever heard of. So your first thought is, what? This can't be right. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> My first thought <laughs> was, this ancestry DNA stuff is bogus. <laughs> I mean, who gets this so wrong? Like, they got this so wrong. So wrong. So wrong. And I fired off a nasty email to them. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I don't know how you can make mistakes like this right. and get, build people's hopes up. This is not my family DNA. Yeah. I don't know who these people are. I don't know if it's bogus or if you've sent me the wrong information. I don't understand. And I logged off, closed out, got <laughs> off that website, put it away. And called my daughter and told her that she had wasted her money. I don't know what happened. Mm -hmm. And I, put, I literally thought, maybe I didn't put in enough saliva. I don't know what happened. Right. But clearly, <laughs> but they got it, it wrong. It was not me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> clearly, it was not me. Right. I put it away. And I would open it back up and wait and see, are they going to correct this mistake? Right. Because this is a big one. You got this, you got this really <laughs> wrong. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and I would check for the email. And finally, I did get an email and they assured me that there was no mistake, that it had been double checked, that my sample was sufficient, and that this was the, the DNA. And they, ex and they sent me to um, some other resources on how to interpret what I was reading about the DNA matches and I still was like yep it's totally bogus mm -hmm. this bet, is not true I bet I bet Ancestry or many any of the other companies I bet they get that a <laughs> lot I bet they get that a lot I think that they do I think that they have to yeah so by this is April by May I still, I still was in disbelief and I'm still, I look at it and I close it back up and I'd look at the names that were on there and I had Google searched them and I had found connections and Facebook pages and there was just nothing that was showing me any signs of my family. So it wasn't me. So when it you, just was, yeah, like I'm like, at some point you decide, wait a minute, could this be me? No. Yeah. It was not me. Right. My parents would not lie to me like that. Right. My family would not lie to me. We are tight. We are close. I know me and mom are not that close emotionally, but she wouldn't do that to me. Right. By this time, my youngest daughter, who was 20, turning 20, was pregnant at the time. And she had missed church. And my mother called to find out how she was. And I had explained to her that my daughter, and this is my adopted daughter, 
And I explained to her that my daughter, um, we, we call her Jack Rabbit. So for the purposes of the podcast, I'm going to call her Jack Rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so I was explaining to her that Jack was not feeling good. And even though she was in her second trimester, she was still experiencing so much morning sickness that the doctors were working just anxiously trying to find the right medication to make her better. And I said, but she is feeling butterflies all the time and she has lots of movement and the baby's okay, but she just has tons and tons of morning sickness. I had a ha- I have a habit of um, talking on my phone on speakerphone. And I was, this was Sunday evening, my husband was sitting at the end of the bed and I was on speakerphone and he was actually listening because I was disturbing his television show with it being on speakerphone. And my mother said, what are you talking about with these butterflies? I've never heard of this in my life. What? I've never heard of butterflies. What are you talking about? My husband turned around, looked at me and said, when are you going to realize that this woman is not your mother? Mm. And it was like he punched me in the gut and he was angry about it. And he was like, hang up the phone. He was angry at your mother. Yeah. Mm. And I let her go. And he looked at me and he said, she's not your mom. Get off the pot and do something with your kid and find out who your people are. I have a habit of turning into Laura Petrie, for those that are old enough to know who that (laughs) is, from the Mary Tyler Moore show. And I'm like... But she said that she is, and, and I know that she is, and she wouldn't lie to me. And right. and I'm like, and pitch is high, and I'm screaming, and I'm crying. And he's looking at me, and he said, I never believed that she was your mother. But from the day I met everybody in your family, I knew that you were adopted. So it's time for you to stop pretending that you don't know. Wow. And he was upset with me. So had he ever mentioned that he always knew? In my mind, I didn't feel that he did. But he started recalling all the times he had said, you don't look like these people. You don't act like this person. You know, when family is around you, that they justify and say, you look just like your father, you have his big cheeks, you have your grandmother's body shape, you have this. And so once again, I'm putting everything into alignment and making it fit. He's being the observant one and says, no, no, she don't. (laughs) He's not buying it. He's not putting the pieces. He's not buying it. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering, does he ever say that, though? Like, does, does he have... He has of... never said to me, I think you're adopted. Right. That was the, that call between you and your mom that day is when he just could, he couldn't let it set and rest anymore. He, sna- <laughs> he snapped first. Right. That next day, that Monday, it, it just disturbed me what he said all day long. I spent that day online calling and emailing the first closest people in my in my um, DNA matches. And I sent out all of this communication. And the next day, Tuesday morning, I could not rest. And I got in my car and drove the only direction that I knew to start. 
All I knew was that I was born in Detroit. And so I headed to Detroit, not knowing where I was going or what I was going to say or what I was going to do. And for anybody that's from Detroit, you may say that you're born in Detroit, but there's Romulus and Inkster and Redford and surrounding communities that we all group as the term Detroit. So I didn't know if I was born in Wayne County or Oakland County or Macomb County. And I'm calling on my car phone as I'm driving and heading that direction. And we live close to 100 miles from Detroit. And I pulled up at the Wayne County Circuit Court's office, asked for the adoption department, and was sent to the post-adoption door, which was in a very old wing of an old county building. And this beautiful, beautiful queen, my sister, sister of color, working in the office with stacks and stacks of files on her desk, came to the door crushed my spirit. (laughs) Mm, She said, you can't just walk in like this. There are procedures for this. You have to petition. You have to get, I can't give you any information like you're asking me. I can't tell you anything. This is not how it's done. You have to go and apply for records. You have to petition for records. You have to file documents. It all has to be filed online. It all has to be paid for. And all I could tell her was, I will do anything that you need me to do. I just need to know, is there a reason for me to be here? Yeah, because this is all new to you. You have no idea of what really to do next. Exactly. And you need some guidance. Just let me know, am I, and, am I starting off right? Yeah. Right. And still no confirmation that I'm adopted. It's, it's a feeling. It's a belief. It's, it's my husband saying, do something. Mm-hmm. And she went into her office. And I sat on the swaying old bench stool that was in the hallway. And I rocked back and forth, shaking my knee like I have never shook before. Just tapping, just tapping and just chewing gum just feverishly. And she comes out with an old Pendaflex card file, like the kinds that you would see at the library years and years ago. And she said... Well, Sharon, what you're going to have to do is file for these documents, pay this fee, go online. And I stopped her. I said, no, 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 wait. Sharon is my middle name. My name is Alicia. Sharon is my middle name. Do you have the right person? And she kept on talking. No, Sharon, what you have to do is file these paperwork, pay this money. And the good thing is the adoption agency that you were placed with is closed. So your records will be released to you. Mm, and, and you're probably thinking, here we go again. Ancestry got this person. They got the wrong person. Now he or she's got the wrong person. And I say again, are you sure you're looking at my file? My name is not Sharon. (laughs) (laughs) And she looks at me and taps her card in her hand, waving it like a fan. And she said, no, your name is Sharon. Mm. And what are you thinking? Yeah. Like, what are you thinking? The gut punch that I felt when my husband said that just got double knocked out by Mm. her. I couldn't breathe. 
I couldn't stand up off that bench. Because it's all I being couldn't... confirmed. Like it's really. Right then and there. Yeah, it's com- I right. truly adopted. Right then and there. And mm. so I, in my Laura Petrie voice, I start sputtering. But my father is so-and-so, and my mother is so-and-so, and they've been married since this day, and I was born on this day, and I have a brother. Wait, I have a brother. Is he a doc? Wait, and tell me this, and tell me that. And she's saying, I can't tell you any of that. But she's waving this card in front of her hands, and I'm realizing she knows this information. It's right there. Mm-hmm. Tell me. And she can't. Mm. Yeah. And and all these things are going through my head. Uh, I, I considered I considered uh, ambushing her. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, can I can I run fast enough and snatch this out of her hand? Can I get into her office and get a peek at this file? Can I? What do I do? What do I say? How can I convince this lady that right here and now you've got to tell me more? I've right. got to know more. I had to go back to my car. And literally sat there and screamed at the top of my voice, banging my hands on my steering wheel, banging my hands on my horn, and just saying, they lied to me, they lied to me, they lied to me. How could they have lied to me? And I'm going, everything is just spinning and whirling. Everything that was ever said, everything that was, every little doubt that I had, it was a lie. And I couldn't drive home. So My I husband had to, had to he come, had to get, come get me. Oh, goodness. He had to come get so me. So you get on the phone with him and tell him what has it's happened. It's a lie. I dial his phone and I'm just going, they lie, they lie, they lie. It's true. They lie. It's true. And he's like, what? Wait, what? What? What are you talking about? And he didn't even know I had gone. Right. He didn't know I was in Detroit. And he's getting it. And he's like, where are you? What are you doing? I'm coming. Where are you at? And he's calming me down and he's, you know, he's doing the, just breathe, stop, 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 just breathe. And we're very prayerful. We're a very prayerful couple and we pray together. And he just starts praying and he just starts asking God to take over, take over, take her emotions. And he calmed me down enough that I told him, I'll start coming your way. You start coming my way. Mm. (laughs) Mm. That's beautiful. And we met approximately around Metro Airport and stopped at at a Cracker Barrel and just sat there. And I just sat there shaking my head. Mm. That was how I found out. Yeah, that's a lot. Yep. It was May 6th. May 6th, 2019. And I imagine that he, when he said that to you, when you were on the phone with your mom... He didn't anticipate you just getting in your car going. Um, no. In a way, like, it's good because it prompted you, but it also unleashed something that he couldn't even foresee as being... Yes. Yeah, like... I ha- could not tell yeah. him that I was going to go because I literally got up that morning and said, I've got to put my big girl panties on and do this. If I don't do this... I won't do it. And I have to do it by myself first. And as I was getting directions and finding out where I needed to go, and I don't even remember driving there. I just remember paying attention to my navigation system, thinking, if I get lost, I'm going to turn around. It'll stop me. If I don't go to the right place the first time, I'm not going to come back. If I don't get 
this information today. I'm going to let it go. Because I'm wondering what made you think you needed to do it alone because I get the sense that he would have gladly gone with you. Oh, he would have insisted on going with me. But my husband is my father. He's very protective. He's very loving. He thinks security. What do I do to protect my wife and family? And he would shield me. I couldn't have him control this situation for me. Right. So you're in reunion because you took the journey. Yeah. From the very next day, I became Inspector Gadget. (laughs) I spy Private Eye. Where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? Fine Waldo. I uncovered every rock, every lead. I hired private detectives. I paid for my intermediary. I got a um, confidential intermediary from the courts. I purchased a Ben Verified account and a uh, every kind of account that would give me information. And I finally found a phone number to my first cousin match on Ancestry. And it was a deep Google search where you connect family members and it tells you who their relatives are and who their neighbors are. And I printed this paper and I put it on my desk and I prayed over it and I called the right number the first time. Oh, wow. And so this cousin put you in contact with everybody else? Yes. Not the match. I got her sister, but who was home with her mother, who is my aunt. And I told her what I had found out, which was very little, but that my mother was 13 when she became pregnant. She was 14 when I was born, that she lived with her mother, who was also single and worked as a waitress. And her mother's boyfriend was my father. Mm-hmm. And he was 34. So up until this point, me and my creative mind was putting together a scenario that this was possibly a rape or possibly a molestation, that it was probably very traumatic for her, that I understood why she would give me up at being 14. I had already made peace. Okay, I get it. I understand why I was placed for adoption. But the match was on my father's side. And I just wanted to find as many people as possible. I wanted to know, did I have siblings? I wanted to know, were my parents alive? Mm -hmm. And I wasn't trying to disturb lives. I wasn't trying to make contact. I was just in search of information. Right. Uh, I I haven't mentioned this. I'm 55 years old, so I'm 53 at the time. I did not seek out to disturb lives. I was satisfied with that. I just wanted the information. And when I told my aunt the story, she said, baby, I know my brother and he was a rolling stone. Okay. (laughs) And she said, if you say that he could possibly be your father, I'm going to tell you who to call because my other brother and he were thick as thieves and he would have known everything he was into. Mm-hmm. And she gave me the phone number of an uncle in Detroit. 
I immediately called him next, repeated the entire story. This was um, June 9th of 2019 on a, I think it was a Friday. And right before quitting hours and I'm calling at work, I told him the story and he's a much older man. He had, he had told me that he was um, 82 and he wasn't remembering any details, but he said he would pray on it. And I said, oh, wonderful. You're a praying man. That's good to know. I am a prayerful woman also. What denomination are you and where do you go to church? And it turns out that he goes to my sister church. Mm. And our pastors grew up together and we are both apostolic. And we knew very well of each other's churches. And so I said, please pray on it. And I will wait for you to call me back. I won't bother you. If you remember anything, please let me know. And we hung up. I packed up. I got ready to leave for work. And the front desk phone rang. It was approximately 4.55. And our receptionist yelled out because we immediately said, who is this calling at 4.55 on a Friday evening? We're trying to get out of here from work. And she says, it's someone named Felton from Detroit. Does anybody know who this is going to be for? And I said, it's me. It's me. It's me. And I ran back to my desk, put everything down, sat back down, turned back on my lights, and talked to my uncle for the next hour and a half. Oh, my goodness. And he said, baby, I am so sorry that I hung up and let you think that I was not your uncle. But I prayed on it, and God unlocked my mind. And I know exactly who you are. Mm. And I couldn't believe it. And I was like, are you sure? Are you positive? Where, how? How could you know? And then he started telling me the story of my father and his relationship with my, what would be grandmother, and how she worked nights, and he was left in charge and care of her daughter, and how he took this young girl with him everywhere. And they sat at his house time upon time. And he saw with his very own eyes that my father was falling in love with her and mm. she was falling in love with him. And he said he saw it, his sister saw it, and they would tell him, she's too young. You're going to get in trouble with this girl. Mm. But I he am really... Like, I'm really moved that he shared that with you because, yes. yeah, like that's something I could see someone taking to the grave. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Like, and, and so I'm glad absolutely. he shared that with you. Mm. It was such a relief to know yeah. that. And he explained how he knew this was going to be bad for him. And he, and he was, confronted his brother yes and did he say how his brother responded to him his, he did not say how my father responded to him mm -hmm. but what it transpired was when my grandmother found out that her daughter was pregnant 
by her boyfriend. She was livid and incensed and immediately pressed charges on him. Mm-hmm. And with her being a minor, he was charged with um, statutory rape. Mm-hmm. And my mother, being a young girl, did have to go to court and point the finger at my father and say he is the father of her unborn child. Mm. And my father was sentenced to prison. And my grandmother made the decision that no way was she going to raise both of these children. Mm. And I was placed up for adoption. That's that's yeah. how that story came to be. That's something. So, but you learned it. Yeah, you learned yeah, the story yeah. from mm-hmm. your uncle. Yes. Yeah. And so we, we, we quickly developed a relationship. And he immediately said, I will be the father that you did not have. Oh, my And he goodness. was. And he was. And and unfortunately, he passed last October of COVID. But he was. He became the father that that I did not get to meet. And his sisters and my cousins. And we all bonded very quickly. Was your birth father deceased? He had passed away from um, from cancer. Um, And my birth father, I had missed him by three years. He had died in 2017. And what about your birth mom? For nine more months, I knew nothing about her. Mm-hmm. My uncle could not remember her real name. Okay. He remembered a nickname. But mind you, I've uncovered documents and forms and all. I've created a binder. I know you have because you've been... <laughs> <laughs> You've been busy. You know, I was a detective for a long time, and I think you got me beat on all that you did. (laughs) I had Westlake reports. (laughs) I knew every car my my mother had owned. I had I knew every house they had. I knew every cell telephone they had ever had. There were several names that kept coming back to me that kept popping up. One was Jessica, and the other one was Alma Jean. And if they were not connected to me, they were deeply connected to the story. Mm. And I would pray over their names all the time. It wasn't until I received data from my, my confidential intermediary that she had sent me notification that they had discovered that my mother was also deceased and her name was now being released to me. I received it first by email. And her email started, it always hurts me to inform someone that their search has ended in discovering that their parent has deceased. I am so sorry to inform you that Alma Jean, and her last name, is deceased and the date. And do you know, all I could do was scream in joy because I went, it's her. It's her. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. It's her. This is the name that's highlighted all through my papers. This is the name that's circled. This is the name that I have doodles next to. This is the name that charts are drawn around. It was her. I had found her before I found her. Mm. There was something about that name. So when I got that name on that death certificate, It was the greatest day you would ever imagine. And I had to email her back and explaining, no, do not feel sorry. I'm okay. 
I I understand. I have her name. I know who she is. I know the family. And I have a sister, and I can find her. The day I got confirmation of my mother's name was the day that I felt whole. I had that peace. The day I had her name and my father's name, I had been on so many Facebook groups, and I had been in Michigan adopted and um, adopted and seeking and searching and finding and search angels. And I went on one of the groups that had been very supportive, and I made a very simple post. I am Sharon Denise Atkinson, daughter of Alma Jean Atkinson and Herman Felton, finally. Mm. And it felt good. And I closed Facebook. And she says, Mom, Mom, people are trying to get a hold of you. There's a young man on my phone who says he's your nephew. And I said, he's not trying to talk to me. I don't, you know, I don't talk to young boys like that. And she's like, Mom, just call him. And I said, I'm not calling this young man. So you reach out to him? You do? She called him. Okay. She called him. She hands me the phone. A woman answers the phone. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've got to explain to this boy's mother what I'm calling for. And I said, I understand that your son has reached out to my daughter and he claims to be my nephew. And she says, Sharon, and of all names in the world, I said, Jessica? (laughs) She says, Sharon? I said, Jessica? And she immediately starts bellowing. We found you. We found you. Oh, my God. Mom, Mom, we found you. Oh, Mom, Mom. So they knew about you. you. They knew the the whole story. Yes. Yeah. And I paused her. I, I stopped her because I said, wait, wait, wait. No, my mother is deceased. And she's like, no, mom, up in heaven. She's like, you don't understand. Mom made us promise on her deathbed that we would never stop looking for you. Mm. You don't understand. We have all grown up looking for you, waiting for you, Mm. knowing about you. And she immediately said, your father is Herman Felton. Your, Your father and my mother were friends until the day they died. We grew up celebrating your birthday, and mom made a special dinner for us, and we were not allowed to touch your plate. And I was in shock. Oh, my, I'm in shock. And I've heard this part of your story before, <laughs> and I'm still like, yes, yeah, still is so moving to me. And, I you know, I've got you got to come back and be <laughs> no, really, because I want to talk because you're an adoptive parent. And yes. I have yet yeah. to talk to an adoptive parent for the podcast. So I and what perfect person than you, an adoptee. Uh, so I definitely want you I, to... I would be honored to. <laughs> I, I have so many questions. And so in closing, I do want an opportunity to give LDAs a platform. And so oh, absolutely. What, yeah, it's so needed. And what would you like to say specifically to LDAs based on your experience? Expect every range of emotions and own them. Allow them to happen. Allow them to come. Allow them to flood. The word I have have coined is it has been traumatical. Traumatical. It has been been trauma. It has been dramatic. Mm. It has been emotional. And I just say it's traumatical. 
but it made me whole. Mm. It made me whole. That's beautifully said. And is, and it, I, is there anything I didn't ask you that you, you want to leave for the adoption community, adoptees in particular? Know who you are, what you have been raised to become, and know that that is your validation. I hear many adoptees say that they're looking for validation. You've already been validated. And we can't lose sight of that. The person that we are at the time that we discover is true, is real. We're not fake people. They were not fake memories. We did live them. We did experience them. They were good. They were bad. But they were ours and we have to own them. And the pieces that we're missing realize that they're just pieces. And if anybody's ever owned a puzzle and you've lost a piece, you still can see the beauty in the puzzle, even mm. with the pieces that are missing. Yes. Oh, that's so well said. Thank you so much. I really absolutely. This has been a wonderful conversation, Alicia. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And I know there's there's so much to my story, and it's so long. And I apologize for that. But you just made me feel so comfortable to be able to to share as much as I could. And I I love your platform. And I've now completed all of the podcasts that you currently have. So I am a proud listener. And <laughs> thank I you. thank you for thank you for being a voice and giving people an opportunity not only to listen, but to share. Yes. I yeah, yeah no apology needed. I, I mean yeah. I enjoyed this so much and and I couldn't do it without uh, adoptees and other members of the community supporting me. So uh, I thank you as well. Thank you. Thank you very much. So you know where to find me anytime you need me. There are so many twists and turns in Alicia's story as an LDA that time wouldn't permit me to share in its entirety. So I must have her back on in a future episode. What I'm sure you did glean is how she has been integrating this newfound information and family into her already rich lived experience as a wife and mom. Once she caught hold to learning just two years ago of her identity as Sharon at birth, it was off to the races, and still is, to discover more of the truth about her beginnings. I like her perspective once finding out her first identity. Biological siblings knowing about her birth is a beautiful example of being remembered and loved through the years apart. When she mentioned Wayne County near Detroit, Michigan, I immediately thought of Judge Greg Mathis, who is from that neck of the woods. Okay, I digressed only because I know he brings to light DNA matches on his show regularly, which I faithfully watch every day. I'm also a bit familiar with the state of Michigan denying adoptees access to their original birth certificate if they were born after May 27, 1945 or before September 13, 1980, unless both birth parents are deceased. I hope I got that right. That would be the age group of Alicia and myself, which many other adoptees are still alive and deserve to possess their original birth document. Fortunately, Alicia will have a copy of her OBC soon because her birth parents are deceased. 
Did you take note of Alicia's use of the word traumatical? Now that's a big word that can describe an adoptee's journey of relinquishment coupled with reunion. I must add that to my vocabulary. Alicia holds a bachelor's in communication and a secondary bachelor's in business. She spent over 20 years in education working with at-risk youth by creating Jackson County, Michigan's first virtual K-12 program, graduating students that have been removed from traditional school settings. Alicia Williams is married to her husband, Calvin, of 35 years. They are the proud parents of five, blended by one stepson, two birth kids, and two adopted children, ranging from the ages of 22 through 38. Thank you, Alicia, for having a conversation with me. It has been most enjoyable. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash adopteeland. Your contribution allows me to present a weekly episode free of advertisement and is greatly appreciated to add a valuable resource to the adoption community.